0: It, Exodus chapter 20, this paragraph that we're going to read is the paragraph that is right after the Ten Commandments. So if you've been with us this fall, we've been looking carefully at each of the Ten Commandments. And then this is the little episode immediately after they, uh, the Israelites at Mount Sinai who've been liberated out of slavery from Egypt. They, they've received the Ten Commandments. And this is what happens next. So we're in Exodus chapter 20, sorry, in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us. Our mighty Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher, uh, that you would shine light on this text, shine light on our own minds and souls, that we may understand you Who you are, who we are, who Christ is. So we open our hearts to you. Give us ears to hear now as we turn to your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are uh, talking about the topic of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. And which is, I think, is a really important topic for our generation. I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to talk about it this morning. One reason why... I feel that way. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I was down in Tacoma for our quarterly Presbytery meeting, which is a gathering of all the the pastors in our region, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Alaska, where we gather, uh, you know, to do church business. And at this meeting down in Tacoma, one of the senior members of our Presbytery, his name is Rob Rayburn, is about to retire. And so he gave a couple talks to the Presbytery about his life and ministry and lessons he'd learned, things he'd changed his mind on. And at the end of the two talks, he was just taking some questions from people about things he'd learned. And a younger minister had asked him, hey, what do you have to say to our generation? You know, the young guys coming up that, you know, we're kind of blind to. What are our blind spots? And uh, without question, he said that the thing that had been lost by the church in our day is the fear of the Lord. He said, as a pastor, a generation ago, it would be a common thing where he'd have people come into his office who were wrestling with the assurance of their salvation, a fear of the wrath of God, a fear of hell. He says, that just doesn't happen anymore. It has disappeared, the, the fear of the Lord. And, uh, of course, anyone who's read the Bible knows that to have no fear of God is simply not to worship the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is terrible in his aspect. He dwells in inapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. And as much as you and I, we might not like those passages, maybe when you're reading through the Bible, those passages make you uncomfortable. Does it surprise us that the creator of the universe makes us uncomfortable? He should make us uncomfortable. And those kind of passages are all over the place. And one of the most famous of those passages is one that we're reading this morning, and you see there in verse 19 where it says, and they said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Do you think of God that way? Don't let God speak to me, or I will die if I hear his voice. We don't think that way, and... um, and so I have to say, as much as we may dislike the idea of, of fearing God, studying this passage over the last few weeks, I've found I think there's a real haunting beauty to this topic. And in fact, you know, just one more opening remark. I've noticed over the years, a number of younger people, you know, maybe 20s and 30s have told me in our church that one of Their favorite hymns that we sing is an Advent hymn. We're going to sing it after the sermon this morning. That's called uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And it's one of my favorites too. This is what the words say. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. And with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly minded. For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. It's a a hymn about God's inapproachable holiness. And there is something in us that says yes. That says yes to that. There is something in us that has a longing for an experience of reverence. And uh, we know that the true God is not a teddy bear. The true God should make us tremble when we stand before him. So this morning, we're going we're to talk about the reason why the fear of God is such an important part of our spiritual health. And in particular, I want to give three reasons for that. And this is what they are. Fear means, first of all, we understand God. If we're understanding God right, we will have fear. Fear means we understand ourselves. And third, ultimately, fear means that we understand Jesus. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand who Christ is. We don't understand the central hope of the, of the Bible, of Christianity, unless we understand the fear of God. So three things this morning. First is this. Fear means we understand God. If we have no sense of fear, we don't understand the true God who made us, made this world. And there are two attributes of God in particular we see in this passage that should cause us to fear. God's power and God's holiness. So first, we should fear uh, God's power. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, this episode comes right after the the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, in the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, this chapter that we're reading, uh, it says, and God spoke all these words, saying. And, you know, some of you, when you think of the giving of the Ten Commandments, you might uh, think of the, the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on, and you know that comes later in Exodus 32, where Moses brings the, the, stone, the stone tablets. But the first time they hear the Ten Commandments, they're audibly spoken by God, and they hear God's voice say it. and then for God's giving this law of the Ten Commandments and to ratify the law. It is accompanied with these signs. Look at what it says in verse 18. And when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. What are thunder and lightning communicating? God's power. He is the Almighty. And, you know, some of you have lived in the Midwest or other parts of the country where they have real thunderstorms. You know, I, that was a new thing for uh, when Shannon and I moved to St. Louis to experience thunderstorms where your house is shaking. And you say, this is uh, sheer power. And if you've ever been in one of those thunderstorms and you imagine, imagine if you were in the cloud. If you were right up there near the cloud, where, you know, where it's shaking, the experience would be incredibly terrifying. To be surrounded by such power. Um, And this passage is telling us that something like what it that is something like what it is like to be in the presence of the Almighty Creator of the universe. And so we should have a fear of God just for his sheer power. When he speaks, there is power. In his presence, there is power. In all of his actions, there is power. Second reason we should fear God is because we should fear God's holiness. And you see it there, the last part of verse 18 where it says about the people, and they stood far off. The people could not come near to God. And, you know, basically one of the most fundamental characteristics about God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that God is holy. God is, and holiness means separate. He is other he is transcendence. He is not like us. He's on like another level of reality than we are. He is different than we are. He's, he's separate. Or Hosea 11.9 puts it this way. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And, you know, part of the reason that I, I think we don't fear God in our generation is because we, in the church in our day, we put a lot of emphasis on the imminence of God and not so much on his transcendence. So God's imminence is, you know, about the, God's closeness. He's gracious. He's patient. He dwells with the humble. You know, he em- welcomes us just as we are. He embraces us. You know, we call, we call him Abba Father. He's our, our b- beloved father. This is all true. These are precious truths given to us in the scriptures. But the Bible says that God is paradoxical, and, and he is beyond our comprehension. And so he is not only imminent, he is also transcendent in other. He is not like us. And that's just as true of his eminence. And God's separateness from us is not only that he's the creator and we're the creation. That's, we're really different just in that way. But also, even more, God is pure. And nothing defiled by sin may come into his pure presence. And what's happening in this passage, of course, the Ten Commandments are given. And part of the fear of this passage is the Ten Commandments, God's law shows what God's character is like. You know, if you, our very first sermon on the Ten Commandments, that's one of the things we talked about, that God's law is like a mirror that shows us who we are and it shows us what God is like. And we find out that we are not like him. And so when the Israelites hear God speak his holy law, their first response is to be afraid. So fear means, fear means we understand the truth about who God is. We've come to terms with his power. Uh, and he's far more powerful than anything we could ever dream. And he is holy. He is separate. He's other than us. But, you know, as some of you know, John Calvin famously said that understanding God and understanding ourselves are really closely intertwined and so that leads to our second thing about fear is fear not only means that we understand God but also fear means that we understand ourselves when we fear God it shows that we understand two essential truths about ourselves so we understand God is powerful and holy in contrast we understand that we are weak and we are sinful We won't understand God unless we've come to terms with these two things about ourselves, that we are both weak and we are sinful. So I want to talk about each of those a little bit. So first of all, we should fear the Lord because we are weak. You see there in verse 19 how it says, And they said to Moses, You shall speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. I think in that phrase, you feel how fragile the Israelites are, how fragile we are. You know, don't even let God speak to me. I will die. I will break. And uh, it's not just that God is so powerful, but, you know, we, uh, we're made of flesh. Like, we're, our, literally, our bodies are, like, primarily this soft, woundable vulnerable you know squishiness like we are are squishy and God has made this wildly dangerous world for our squishy vulnerable soft bodies to live in and actually a couple of weekends ago I was up uh, uh speaking at the RUF retreat up at, at Mount Baker in, at the chalet up there you yeah all right we're getting a lot of whoops this morning all right um and uh and I, I slipped away during one of the afternoons to go do uh, Table Mountain. And if you've been up on uh, Table Mountain, the first part of it, there are these, the stone kind of you know uh, switchbacks, and there's just cliffs, these rock cliffs right next to you. And I, on the way down, you know, I saw this guy taking a picture of his girlfriend. And she's like sitting on the edge of the cliff and you know getting a smile with Mount Baker. And it's one of those scenes where you're like. You know, girl, get it, boyfriend's taking picture and girl falls off the cliff. You know, I was just waiting for that to happen. And you just think, she's just be smashed all over these rocks. And you just think, this is a wild world. She's just like, you know, an off balance a little bit and she's smashed. Or, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all thought about this when you're on, you know, some US highway and there's semi trucks coming the other direction, just one lane over. You think, I'm just four feet away from absolutely just being annihilated. And this is a wild and dangerous world that we are living in, and we are weak and fragile in the midst of it. And, you know, I think that uh, anyone as a parent, you know, you sense, if you've had little toddlers, you know that there is a sense that they're like angels, like making sure that the kid's, like, head doesn't hit the corner of the table. Like, there's just dangers everywhere. And uh the world is good and beautiful and wild and dangerous. And God is even more so. And I'm not saying that we should be frozen by a fear of the world. Why did God make a wild and dangerous world? It's because life is an adventure. Adventures must have dangers, so you have to live in a world with dangers. That's What other kind of life would God have you live? But the reason we should not live in fear of the world, it's not because we're invincible. All of us will eventually face the reality of our fragility. But our fearlessness should come from the fact that we fear God alone, and this is his world. I will only fear him. And, you know... I think that our our uh, our weakness is not just that we're fragile, we're woundable, squishy, you know, beings, but there's also we're finite. And that's another thing that we have to come to terms with. We forget how finite we are. I also remember as a kid, um, my parents lived on a hill and you could walk up the street and there was, at the top of the street, there was this view that looked out over Seattle and, and behind Seattle was the Olympic Mountains. And I would sit up there and look at the, all the towers in Seattle, and from that distance, you know, they were kind of an inch or two tall, and I was just thinking, there's all these little people in those buildings, and they're running around, and they think they're so important, but they are so tiny. I mean, and and you might think, oh, they're tiny, they're not important. That's, that's not true. Actually, God treasures each one of them and knows each one of them, which is amazing to think of God's size and majesty and all those little specks that are running around in those little buildings. He loves and cares for, but we are really small. We we are incredibly finite. And we have to come to know that we are fragile and finite. We are all going to decay and die. But God is life. He is always working and energetic and never tiring and powerful. He speaks worlds into existence. And so just the fact of our weakness, our fragility, and our finiteness, just that should cause us to tremble before the power of God. But there's another reason we should, another thing we have to know about ourselves, not only our weakness, but we should fear the Lord, also because we are sinful. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The fear of the Lord sobers us to the reality of our Sinfulness and how sinful we are, this is an important truth for us you know again're we're, we're living in a, a therapeutic age, um, and we understand ourselves like most for many of us, the way that we understand a lot of the dysfunction in our own lives, how do we think of it? We think of it primarily in terms of yeah i 'm a woundable vulnerable being, and I've been wounded and hurt by other people, and that's really affected how I live, live my life. And so even the word therapy, what does the word therapy mean? It means healing. I primarily understand myself as a broken person who's been wounded that needs to be healed. I think there's lots of truth in that. It's true. The Bible says that. But it's far more rare for someone to say that their dysfunction is... I have a spirit of rebellion against the Holy One. I am arrogant, I'm hard-hearted, I'm self-righteous, and he is pure, and I am defiled. How many of us talk that way? We're taught that our biggest problem is our low self-esteem. Yes, statements like that aren't going to help you have a high self-esteem. So how how do we say things like that? But, you know, I was reading a a chapter from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul is a a pastor, theologian. He died recently. He's written a lot on the holiness of God. And he, in one of his chapters, he mentions the the story in uh, 2 Samuel where uh, the Ark of the Covenant The Ark of the Covenant was a a box that the Lord had told the Israelites to make, that the Ten Commandments were put in. It was covered with gold, and he had all these instructions around it. He says, you know, you're going to have these poles on the side of it so that no one touches the Ark of the Covenant. If you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you will die because it is holy. So you need to carry it with these poles. And there's this story about when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought to Jerusalem, and they weren't carrying it with the poles. They put it on a cart which may seem like a small detail, but as they're going along, one of the oxen that's pulling the cart stumbles, and the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall off the cart. So Uzzah, who's one of the workers who's helping transport the Ark, grabs the Ark to try to save it from falling, and he's struck dead immediately. And I'll tell you, the reac- reaction that you have when you read that, you know, and you're kind of shocked, like, wow, he's just died like that. That's how all the people there felt. They were taken aback by it. Whenever we come to a story like that in the Bible that says that just was not what I was expecting, that tells us there is something that we don't understand about ourselves and about God that's being revealed to us. And what is that story saying? What would defile the Ark of the Covenant more if falling in the mud or Uzzah touching it? What's wrong with mud? There's nothing wrong with mud. God is dirt and water, and God made dirt and water, and he made it good. There's no problems with human beings have violence and greed and envy and self-interest. And what that's telling us is that Uzzah himself is defiling the Ark of the Covenant more than the mud on the ground. That is profoundly saying something about the seriousness of, of our sin A major part of being a Christian, a major major part of understanding the God of the Bible is understanding that truth about our sinfulness. It cannot approach God's presence, God's holy presence. Now, we are a church that believes deeply in preaching the grace of God. And if you think, where is the grace in this, (laughs) the fear of God, why all this talk about God's holiness and wrath and our sinful that, uh, sinfulness? That doesn't seem to be gracious to me. But what's underneath that, if that's how we think, I don't want to hear about wrath, I don't want to hear about holiness, I don't want to hear about judgment. What's underneath that is an assumption that grace is something that's owed to us. It's something we deserve. It's something we have a right to. It's something we could demand of God. Of course God's going to give me that. And if we think that way, We don't understand what the the message of the Bible, because the Bible says you cannot understand grace unless you first understand the distance that Jesus had to overcome between God's power and holiness and our weakness and our sinfulness, and it's only then that grace becomes truly amazing, grace becomes humbling, and grace becomes life-changing. So fearing God means that we understand both God's power and holiness and our weakness and sinfulness. And when you have power and holiness together and you have sinfulness and weakness, the result will be fear. But I think this raises a question for us. You know, I I mentioned that we live in a therapeutic age, and one of the insights that's come from living in a therapeutic age is we're, we're aware of the deep effects that trauma has on a human person, you know, whether that's soldiers who've come back from war or children who've been abused, who've experienced PTSD. And some of you may, maybe you haven't articulated it, but you've kind of wondered this. Is God going to traumatize us? Will the powerful, holy God traumatize the weak, vulnerable humans? Uh, who are sinful. And some of you might say, you know, I feel like I've been in churches where I'm hearing about the wrath of God, I'm hearing about his holiness, and maybe you felt like you have, that was traumatizing for you. Is that going to, you know, uh, is that going to lead us to spiritual wholeness? Well, there's something strange in this passage that I think that answer, helps answer that question. And it leads to the third reason why fearing the Lord is essential to our spiritual lives. It's not only that we need it to understand God and to understand ourselves, but ultimately we need the fear of God to understand Jesus. And the strange verse in this passage is verse 20. You see what it says? Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Moses says, you need to not fear so that you can fear (laughs) in the same verse. You know, and I think that it's a strange thing to say, but all of us sense, yes, there's something right about that. Somehow we need to both fear and not fear at the same time. You know, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. First John says, perfect love casts out all fear. (laughs) So I need to fear and not fear at the same time. How does that work? Well, the answer is Christ himself. In Jesus, we learn to both fear and not fear at the same time. And, you know, I want to explain this. There's there's a a story in the Gospels called the the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a a story where Jesus revealed his glory to three of his disciples. And there are a lot of parallels between that story and this story. So, you know, that story happens on a mountain. In this story is at Mount Sinai. And on that story, there's this cloud on the mountain. Here, there's cloud on this mountain. And uh, in that story, Moses appears. It's Moses and Elijah show up in the story? Mount of Transfiguration. In, uh, in this story, Moses is here. In that story, God's audible voice speaks. And in this story, God's audible voice speaks. But in that story, he does not say the Ten Commandments. This is what God says and said This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then these are the next words that Matthew records. It says, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. What this story is telling us is that Jesus is the better Moses. Because Jesus gives fear and no fear in a way that Moses never could. Because you look in this story what Moses does in verse 21. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is an amazing thing that Moses, the mediator of the covenant, actually um, enters into the very presence of God, but he leaves everyone else standing far off. Jesus, on the other hand, he doesn't just go into the fearful, terrible, mysterious cloud of God's presence, but Jesus brings us with him. And the blood. His blood from the cross makes us holy, makes us fit to walk into that wild and dangerous place so that we can boldly enter the presence of the Holy One, the consuming fire. We can stand and hear the terrible voice and not die. And I'll tell you, you know, we live in Bellingham, a place where people love fear, right? That's why we go off by jumps on our mountain bikes. That's why we fly cliffs on our snowboards. That's why we climb mountains, is we love fear. What are we looking for? We are looking for that place where perfect fear and perfect fearlessness come together. We say there is something about going to that place where fear and fearlessness come together. And if you've uh, spent enough years chasing that perfect place, you know that Snowboarding and mountain biking will never lead you to that perfect place. You think you were almost there, but you need to find another place. And uh, this is because they were all meant to be pointers to the only great experience whose satisfaction can truly last. It is the adventure of meeting God Himself, to walk into the thunderstorm of God's presence and to survive. That is a great adventure. And all those experiences absolutely pale in comparison to the great thrill of boldly approaching the presence of the almighty creator of heaven and earth, to hear his voice, to stand in his presence, and to not die. Perfect fear and perfect fearlessness. That is the experience you and I are really longing for. And the truth is, only Christ can give us that. Only Christ can take us to that place. We were made to fear God, and without that fear, we won't understand him, we won't understand ourselves, and ultimately, we won't understand all the grace that God intends to give us in Jesus. So let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling, stand in his presence. Let's pray together.